0: I'm telling you, as we look at the book of Acts, we see a picture of what God still desires to do. His church, He very much desires to still be alive, and He's still at work in His church. Well, good morning. Let's pray as we continue worship together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have today uh, to worship you. Lord, we are so thankful for your love and grace in our life. You are faithful, God. And God, you continue to give and give and give of yourself to those who trust in you, to those who come to the point of despairing of self, admitting weakness and inability being broken before you, Lord, and coming empty-handed but open-handed to you to receive from your grace, God, you give and give and give according to the riches of what you have provided in your Son, our Savior, Jesus. And we are so thankful, Lord, that today we come uh, to you, a faithful one, caring one, loving one, providing one, merciful and gracious one. And Lord, um, We just give our hearts and our lives to you once again, thanking you for who you are for what you have done. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us as we open your word. We pray, God, that uh, your Holy Spirit and your living word would speak to the depths of our heart, remind us of you, remind us of how you have made us to live, to be in your presence and in your calling. And God, I just pray that... uh, all that you do today would abound for our good, most importantly, Lord, for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to see you guys. I'm feeling the love. Okay. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and I was out last week, and I missed you, and I'm back, and I'm a little worried about you missing me now. I'm just playing. Uh, if you got your Bibles, we got a lot of work to do. Uh, it was wonderful to have a belly uh, here last week. Acts chapter six, by the way. I didn't tell you where to turn. Acts chapter six. We're going to be in Acts six, seven, eight, and nine. We'll be here for what is known as a secret church. We should get out by 6 p.m. tonight, and it's going to be a great day. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. It was great to have a belly here last week. Um, Uh, I am so thankful for our dear brother. What a cool opportunity for us to have uh, both Chrysidus and Abelie back-to-back in these last weeks as we have been in the middle of our series, Church Alive, because it's been important, I believe, uh, which is why I've asked both of these brothers to speak as they were here uh, in the States, is because it's important for us to see uh, what the Scripture says from a variety of perspectives and also to see how that's playing out not just here in Memphis at ICC, not just in America as we know American church life, but also around the world. And it's been a great encouragement and challenge for me, and I believe also for our church family, including you, uh, to study the scriptures and to hear testimony from such faithful men, and I'm so, so thankful for them. We are in the middle of this series, like I just said, called Church Alive. And what we've been doing is just walking through the book of Acts together. Has anybody been enjoying the series? It has been an incredible opportunity for us to open God's word and understand that the work of Jesus continues in his church today. Luke wrote this book to Theophilus. He wrote the first book to Theophilus to help Theophilus understand what Jesus was doing in his life and ministry on earth. That's known as the gospel of Luke, okay? And then... After that, Luke wrote a second letter to Theophilus, and it's the book of Acts. And the book of Acts, he wants Theophilus, and he wants you to know that the work of Jesus did not stop after he was crucified on the cross, put into the grave, and resurrected from the grave. But the work of Jesus continues to this day because Jesus is still alive. And he is at work in our hearts and in our lives and in our midst and in our church for the glory of his name today. He is still alive. The presence and the ministry of Jesus continues among his church today. And if you also wonder why are we studying this book, it's important because our church gets its roots, its foundations in the book of Acts. For us to understand how God has designed the church to be today, We've got to understand the book of Acts, and um, it has been a joy for us to be we walking through this book together, and in the last few weeks, you probably have noticed that we've been camping out in a certain theme. Have you all been noticing that? And that theme has been the theme of really living intentionally as a witness for Christ. We've said it uh, this way, we are called to be an intentional witness for the gospel of Jesus with our life and with our lips. It wasn't me that decided to camp out in this theme for the last three, now four weeks. It's the book of Acts that helps us to camp out in this theme because as we study the book, what we see in the church that is alive in the book of Acts is a group of people who have been set on fire with a passion to live not for themselves, but for Jesus. And they sincerely, not as a religious exercise, but from the bottom of their hearts, they want the people in their lives and in their neighborhood and in their nation and among the world to know Jesus because they have discovered that knowing Jesus is truly the essence of life. We have been Encountering a group of people, men and women, who cannot get over that Jesus came in his love to save them. I don't know about you, but I still have a hard time. I mean, I, 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 it's overwhelming. Even this morning as we're sitting in worship and we're singing the lyrics of the gospel, I'm recounting my own testimony I don't know. I hope that happens in your heart as you worship God, that it's very personal. I, I, I can't get over the fact that I know my sin. I know how undeserving I am. I know where I would be if it were not for Jesus Christ. I feel my guilt. I feel my shame. I feel my helplessness. I understand my own rebellion against God. I understand what would be right for God to do would be to, to leave me separated from Him in my sin for all of eternity, without a hope of going back to Him. I understand His holiness, and I cannot believe that our God, that my God, our eternal holy God, knowing who I am and how far I have fallen, would still choose to love me, would still choose to come himself for me, would still choose to give me, not by what I have done or deserved, but by his grace and his gifting, to give me the opportunity to have forgiveness. That Jesus would take my place on the cross and be thinking about me and paying for every one of my sins in full, forgiving me? Are you kidding me? This is the greatest love I have ever known, that God himself would give his life in love for me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That he would forgive, not just forgive, but redeem, provide righteousness in his spirit in me. He would restore relationship with me to now I drink from the rivers of life that never run dry. I taste of joy that never ever ends. He is the best and he truly is my life. He's my redeemer, my savior and my friend. Can you imagine life without Jesus? He is everything to me. And what we see in the book of Acts, I'm just reminding us as we start again in this continued theme of the book of gospel sharing, we're not talking about a group of people who are just a bunch of religious crazies, okay? We're not talking about, as we hear the call to, the invitation to be witnesses for Jesus, we're not talking about this as some religious Uh, exercise that we approach with great dread. We're talking about hearts, people like me, like you, who are amazed by the love and grace of Jesus, who have experienced His forgiveness and redemption and restoration, who taste of His life on a daily basis and know that all of my life is wrapped up in who He is and what He's done for me. And we sincerely, passionately want other people to have the opportunity to know Him too, because He truly is the best. We live intentionally with our life and with our lips, extending an invitation to all to come and know Jesus, for He is God. Amen? So, as we approach again the text today, again, this is not my decision to continue to camp out here. It's just the way the book is written, okay? Everybody cool with that? I'm looking for some smiles and some eagerness and some joy. So what I want to do today as we go through these next chapters, here's what you got to commit to me. You got to commit that this week you're going to read Acts chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. Because this morning I want to basically kind of approach these scriptures in a different way than maybe I normally would as we study the scriptures. I want to approach them kind of pulling out some of the the essence of three characters that I see in these chapters. And what I see, what we continue to see is the church alive in Acts, which should be alive today. The people of God living as gospel witnesses, desiring to see the church grow, more churches planted, people knowing Jesus in their community. By their life and by their lips, they've taken ownership of the task. And they're, they're continuing forward. They're continuing forward. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, and they have embraced the call. The Spirit of God has come upon them, and they are truly living as his witnesses. So what I want to do is look at these three people today. One, a guy named Stephen. Y'all heard of Stephen? Stephen from Acts chapter 6 and 7. And I want to look at how he lives a life of gospel sharing, which I see as a life of faith. Next, I want to look at a guy named Philip. You ever heard of this guy? I want to look at Philip in Acts chapter 8, and I want to look at his life of gospel sharing. And I really see that we can learn from Philip what it looks like to live in obedience. And third, I want to look at a guy named Ananias. Have you all heard of Ananias? Ananias, from Acts chapter 9, we're going to look at him, very important role that he plays in the history of what God is writing in the church the same important role that you could play if you live like Ananias and I want to look at his life of gospel sharing and highlight the fact that we can learn from Ananias what it looks like to be courageous as we share the gospel with others so I want to put back up the main point and I want us all to read it together before we open the scripture this morning are you all good with that? the main point is this, let's read it together We are called to be an intentional witness for the gospel of Jesus with our life and with our lips. Let's say it again with a little bit more volume and passion, okay? We are called to be an intentional witness for the gospel of Jesus with our life and with our lips. Let's start with Acts chapter 6 and the person Stephen. Stephen. Again, I am not going to cover exhaustively the whole Scriptures, by the way. I'm going to start Acts 6 in verse uh, 8. We are going to be coming back to the first uh, seven verses of Acts chapter 6 when we uh, talk as a a church family and as a membership about some of the changes that are coming for Vision 2025, especially with our leadership structures. We're not ignoring it. We're just saving it for that time. But starting in verse... Actually, I'll I'll look there at verse 7. It talks about the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly, and great many of the priests even have become obedient to the faith. Now, like I said, I want to learn from Stephen. Stephen, I really believe, helps us to see what it looks like to live a life of gospel sharing and to understand that faith is is required from gospel sharing the first way i see stephen evidencing faith is evidencing faith to follow jesus if we're going to live a life of gospel sharing we've got to live by faith and part of that faith looks like a faith to follow jesus it says here in verses 8 through 13, Stephen, who was full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of Cyrenians and of Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and they disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom with, and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then secretly they instigated men who said, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, and they seized him, and they brought him before the council, and they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of of an angel. The first thing I really believe that we see with Stephen is, like I said, faith, but faith to follow Jesus. Matthew chapter 10. If you have your uh, scriptures. Matthew chapter 10. Sorry, I'm giving you pause so you can turn. Starting in verse 5. He says to his disciples, Jesus does, the 12 Jesus sent out and he instructed them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter the town of no Samaritans, but go to the sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse leopards, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, silver, copper for your belts, no bag for your journey nor two tunics, nor sandals, or staff, for the laborer deserves his food, Whatever's town you enter. Find out who's worthy and stay there till you depart. As you enter the house, greet it if the house is worthy. Let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone does not receive you or listen to your word, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. For truly, I say to you, it's more bearable on the day of judgment in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. For behold, I am sending you out as sheep amidst the wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and they will flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for you for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and put him to death. And you will be hated by all for my namesake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved." When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? What does it look like to be faithful, to live a life where we desire to live intentionally with our life and lips, it looks like having faith. Faith in what? Having faith in Jesus Christ. Having faith in his words. Having faith like Stephen did. Stephen stepping out in Acts 6, full of grace, full of power, obeying Jesus, living by faith in what Jesus said, offering healing, offering restoration, offering forgiveness. And when people come against him, not shrinking back in fear, but stepping forward in faith. Obeying Jesus no matter the cost. I also see a faith to be fearless for Jesus. Faith to be fearless for Jesus. Because as the crowds are growing with pressure and they're frustrated with what he's doing, and they're basically accusing him of blasphemy and breaking the laws, and all the people are gazing at him. Stephen steps forward with a speech, and I'm not going to have time to read the whole speech, and again, I would encourage you to go and read the majority of Acts chapter 7, but it's very similar to what we've read and studied already in the early parts of Acts. The high priest in verse 1 says, Are these things so? And Stephen steps forward and basically says, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham, and he begins to unpack from the very beginning the full gospel message, ending with a climax of explaining that the Messiah is truly Jesus Christ. And stepping forward at the end of his speech, Verse 51 of seven, after declaring who Jesus is and what he came to do and how he was crucified at the hands of sinners, but yet God attested that he is the son of God and raised him with power, he says, verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and your ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you've now betrayed and murdered. You have received the law as delivered by angels, but did not keep it. Mic drop. Stephen. Not only as he filled with faith to follow Jesus. But when it came time to make that decision, should I shrink back in fear? Or like I said, step forward in faith to, to continue to declare the truth of who Jesus is to a people who could, could do something to me, <laughs> who, who could not like me or actually have the power to like actually cause harm to me? Jesus steps forward again with faith to be fearless for Jesus. And even calling out the brokenness and the sinfulness of those who at the moment are resisting the truth of the message that God is speaking through the gospel that he's sharing. Faith, faith to be fearless for Jesus. Third, I see a faith to focus on Jesus. At the end of chapter 7, we see an interesting moment in Stephen's life which by the way I, I do want to mention If, as we talked about that fearless piece if you go back to Matthew 10 for a second at the end of Matthew 10 starting in verse 26 where we stopped reading before you've got to know that Stephen knows these words of Jesus as he considers whether or not to continue to be fearless before men. Jesus says, so have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. For what I tell you in the dark and say in the light and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops and do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Have y'all ever faced a moment of fear in gospel witness? I know I have. Believe the words of Jesus and these moments of fear, believe like Stephen believed. I believe that the reason Stephen could step forward and not shrink back is because he believed the words of Jesus. How else do you step forward when your life is on the line? You don't do that in human strength. You don't do that in human wisdom. You step forward believing the words of Jesus. Don't worry about people who could hurt your body. Let your primary concern be me who's in charge of your soul. And know that in these moments, I will not abandon you. You stay faithful to me. I will not abandon you. You're worth more to me than you could ever imagine. Be faithful to me. Don't you know that Stephen heard those words? Faith to be fearless. Third, I said, sorry, I took an aside because I just felt impressed to share that, even though it took a little bit more time, because I want your faith to be rooted like Stephen's in the word of Jesus when it comes to the moment of gospel sharing. Third, faith to focus on Jesus. Faith to focus on Jesus. When all this happened, verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds scary. All I can think of where the wild things are and they gnash their terrible teeth and they raise their terrible claws. You know what I'm talking about? Sorry. I don't know if these things were actually wild things. I think they were just normal people, but gnashing their teeth sounds terrible. But what did Stephen do? As you've got people who are coming against you for just talking about Jesus, what does he do? I'll tell you what he does. He has faith, and his faith lifts his eyes to focus on Jesus. It says, this, verse 55, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, which is significant because typically we see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, but here we see Jesus standing as a commendation or a welcome to Stephen. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice. And they stopped their ears, and they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I see a man who's filled with faith. Faith to follow Jesus. Faith to be fearless for Jesus. And third, faith to focus on Jesus. At the moment of testing, at the moment where push came to shove, where he's got to put, he's got to make a decision, he chooses not to focus on the things that are immediately in front of him and circumstances. He chooses not to give room for his greatest fears. He fixes his eyes and his heart upon his Savior, Jesus, and he entrusts himself to his Savior. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Some of you are familiar with this verse, these verses, verses 1 through 5, speaks the same to us, as we consider men like Stephen, and our present call to live intentionally with our life and our lips to share Jesus with those who we know. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so, such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight of, and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking where? To Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In the middle of your race, in the middle of your present opportunity, keep your eyes on Jesus. And verse 3, it says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Consider Jesus so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He focused himself on Jesus. Even as people were coming against him and beginning to throw stones at him, his heart was filled with the image of the glory of his Savior. And he considered the price that was paid for his salvation. With amazement, he worshiped Jesus with clarity in his heart. How does he do what he's doing as he witnesses? He lives by faith. Faith focusing on Jesus. Fourth and finally with Stephen. He has faith to forgive like Jesus. Faith to forgive like Jesus. The very end of chapter 7, we read in verse 60, and falling to his knees he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Sound familiar? Remember from the cross, Jesus, Father, forgive them. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep which basically means he, he died. Faith to forgive like Jesus. If you got something to write with, write this reference down. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. Again, I'm trying to direct you to the words of Jesus because I really think that one of our biggest struggles with gospel witness, with go- living a life of gospel sharing, friends, is that we don't have the words of Jesus near enough to our hearts. I really believe that. I really believe that the disciples were so filled with the words and the presence of Jesus that when they came to moments of opportunity like this, they could live by faith because Jesus' words was the fuel of their faith. Where does a guy like Stephen get to the point where people are literally throwing stones at him? He's gasping for breath, about to die, and he's He's saying, Father, don't hold this against them. Jesus reminded his disciples in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Gotta be careful when the world loves us. Because what Jesus says is that often means that we are of the world. But, Jesus says, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all of these things they will do to you on account of my name, because... as people come against him. You know, sometimes when people come against you, isn't it easy to, like, take it personal? Anybody with me there? It's hard not to take it personal and not want to fight back. But Jesus had given his disciples words that I believe Stephen had in his heart. Hey, Stephen, remember this, Stephen? They're they're not hating you because of of, of you. They're hating you because of me. Remember this, Stephen. If you were of the world like them, they wouldn't hate you. But I have called you out, made you my witness, Stephen. And because of that, they're hating you. Stephen doesn't take it personally. He knows that the problem that the people have is not with him, it's with Jesus in him. And he wants to be faithful to continue to testify to Jesus in him. Because even though evil ones put Jesus on a cross, he was on that cross out of a heart of love to forgive them. And Stephen was willing to entrust himself to God at greatest cost to himself, suffering because he knew that his suffering was not in vain. It was a testimony to Jesus. And his suffering was a gift of love to those who didn't understand it yet so that one day they might understand and receive Christ's forgiveness too. Does that make sense? Stephen is a man who is filled with faith, Faith to follow Jesus, faith to be fearless for Jesus, faith to focus on Jesus, and faith to forgive like Jesus. I want to be like Stephen. (laughs) Do y'all? I mean, I just wonder, like, are are we filled with the words of Jesus so much that we are living by faith and following him? Are we so filled with his words that we are living by faith without fear for him? Are we filled with his words so much that we are believing him, and even in the midst of opposition and persecution that we are still focused upon him? And are we so filled with his words that we are living by faith in forgiveness to others, even others who come against us? I wanna be a man who shares the gospel by faith like Stephen. I also want to be someone who shares the gospel like Philip. In Acts chapter 8, we see a man named Philip. Philip, I really believe, helps us to understand that the life of gospel sharing is not only a life of faith, but also a life of obedience. Obedience. The first thing that I see with Philip is that he is obedient to his calling. He's obedient to his calling. It says at the start of chapter 8 that Saul is there as Stephen, is literally killed testifying to Jesus. And it says on that day there arose a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Which, by the way, do you remember when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth? Y'all remember that? Well, here comes the moment, just so you know in Acts history, where God is going to begin to push them out of Jerusalem, not by their choice, but by circumstance of persecution. He's going to push the church out of that place where they were living and witnessing and meeting and worshiping together to the neighboring regions, to Judea and Samaria. And they're going to start witnessing there too, and we're going to see it unfold. But it says, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation, but Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women, and he committed them into prison. Now it says, Now those who were scattered about went preaching the word, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him, and they saw the signs of what he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And there was much joy in that city. I love the fact that one of the things I see Stephen doing is being obedient to his calling. Because what we know is, we go back to the beginning of Acts Do you remember one of the core issues of gospel identity is to understand that we are to be his witnesses. And if Stephen had thought that it was up to circumstance to be where he was and who he was, if it was up to his, you know, if he had his identity rooted in the fact that he lived in Jerusalem and the fact that he did what he did and he was with a certain church that he was in, man, all of that comes shattering down When all of a sudden, persecution comes and he is forced to flee everything. I thought about uh, Kristen Hurtler as I was thinking about this this week. Many of you guys know that in just a matter of a couple of days, uh, she is going to be arriving back in the United States after being forced out of the country uh, where essentially she is being forced out because she's been testifying to Jesus. She and all of her organization there. And it could be real easy, you know, here's for five years, she's had a certain job there at the hospital. She's been known as a certain Christian witness. She's had a certain church community. She's had a house there. She's had an identity as one who's living there missionally. It'd be real easy for her this, at the end of this week, to just fall apart because everything that has defined her life, you could think, is, is just Totally collapsing around her. She's losing it all in a matter of about four or five days. But I have been so encouraged listening to Kristen as I've talked to her in the last few weeks because one of the things she says, she says, Barrett, when I asked her what's next, and we're not planning all the details, but she says, I'm going back out. She said, It wasn't the hospital that I went for. It wasn't it wasn't just living in that country, it was for those people, and it was to be faithful to the call of Jesus. And she says, this doesn't change any of my calling. She says, my calling remains the same. And I don't understand why all of this stuff is collapsing around me, but I know that I will continue in the calling that I have received. And I'm like, praise God. And just like Kristen, I I see the same thing in Stephen. He's being obedient to his calling. Everything else that he could have held on to, his identity, collapsed around him. But no, after he scattered out, Philip, it says, went into the city, verse 5, and he proclaimed to them the Christ. In other words, he wasn't going to be shaken by the fact that he lost his home, and he lost his city, and he lost his church family, and he lost his job. All the stuff that he's familiar with, he is going to continue in the calling, and his obedience to calling trumps everything else. He's going to be faithful to live with his life and lips as a witness for Christ. Well, he goes on and he ends up going into a village and he sees a, a man come to Christ named Simon. And you can read that later in Acts chapter 8, um, verses uh, 6, oh, excuse me, verses 9, all the way through verse 25. But what it says in verse 25 is, um, is you know, they, they were continuing to testify and speak the word of the Lord. Now, interestingly, there's a story starting in verse 26 through the end of chapter 8 about Philip and this guy who we just know as the Ethiopian eunuch. Has anybody ever heard this story? It's quite interesting. The next thing that I see about Philip is that he is obedient, not only to his calling, but to, his, to the Holy Spirit's prompting. He's obedient to the Holy Spirit's prompting as it relates to gospel sharing. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go to the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning. He was seated in a chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So here comes a dude just heading out of Jerusalem down the road, And he happens to come across the road where where Philip has just heard from the Lord, I want you to go to this area, to this road. And verse 29 says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, Do you understand what you are reading? I love this because so often in our life, this is exactly how gospel sharing happens, is it not? It's not that we wake up one morning and we go, I'm going to go and position myself at the corner of 2nd Street and Bill Street because I happen to know that today so-and-so is, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's not like we go and plan gospel sharing opportunities. It's not like we go into our school and we think, okay, At 3.10 today, I'm going to position myself strategically at this place because I know this is going to happen. No. Gospel-sharing opportunities often happen just like it happened here with Philip, where we're going about our day, and all of a sudden we sense the Lord speaking to us. Hey, see that guy over there? (laughs) Or in the middle of a conversation with someone. Hey. It's time. I want you to share. Most of us have probably had an experience like that. And what I love about Philip is he shows us that it is important to understand that that little voice that you hear is the Holy Spirit speaking and is worthy of obedience. Philip obeyed the Spirit's prompting. And when God tugged on his heart to go and to encounter this guy and to go up to him and and share with him, we see that Philip, he obeys. I love that Philip did this because it affirms what Jesus told us John 14, that the Holy Spirit would come to us and He would be with us and He would speak to us and He would teach us and He would bring to memory the things that He spoke to us. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, speaks to us. Verse 3 especially, he says, At the same time, pray that God may open for us a door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ, that we might make it clear, which is how we ought to speak. Do you all believe that the Holy Spirit can prompt you with opportunities to share? Anybody? The question is, are we obedient? Are we obedient? Because the Lord is working in the hearts of people around us. He is. And we have to be receptive to the Lord's voice and how he's working so that we can be a part of it. Next, we see not only is Philip obedient to the Spirit's prompting, but third, he's obedient to give verbal witness. He's obedient to give a verbal witness. And he said, verse 31, How can I, the Ethiopian eunuch saying, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and he sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was like a sheep was led to be slaughtered, like a lamb before it shears of silence, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom does the prophet say this? About himself or about somebody else? And then Philip opened his mouth. That's what we need to do. If we're going to be effective in witness, he opened his mouth. Beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. That's what we need to do. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? In other words, making a decision to trust and follow Christ. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down on the water, Philip and the eunuch, to be baptized. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. And Philip continues in the region preaching, preaching Jesus. <laughs> I love this. Not only is he obedient to the Spirit's prompting to engage someone who the Lord was calling him to engage, but when the time came and the person asked the question, he opened up his mouth with the Scriptures from the beginning, and he shared the full gospel of Jesus. To the point that he's offering to the eunuch an opportunity to be saved. We know that because the eunuch is responding to it. Romans 10 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But he goes on to say, But how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone telling them? And how are they to preach to tell them unless they are sent? For as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Philip is obedient to his calling, he's obedient to the Spirit's prompting, and he's obedient at the moment of opportunity to bring a verbal witness. And often this is the point where we get, where we get tripped up. Um, I know there have been so many moments in my life where I've sensed the Holy Spirit's prompting, hey, go there, engage them. And I step into it, and then in the middle of that conversation or engagement, there comes this additional opportunity as the conversation is going on where you know that you could step in and speak the truth of the gospel. And you gotta again be filled with faith like Stephen, but filled with obedience like Philip to actually open your mouth because you got to remember Yes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him whom they've not believed? And how can they believe in the one whom they never heard? We have to recognize that so many times, I really believe this, especially in our Christianized South, guys, so many times we think everybody knows Jesus. Everybody's heard the gospel. And it's just not true. So many times the the reality is that people just need to have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus in order to believe and receive him as Savior and Lord. I want to be like Philip, y'all. Obedient to calling. Obedient to the Holy Spirit's prompting. Obedient to verbal witness. Last but not least, I want to look at a guy named Ananias. Ananias. And I'm telling you, as we live a life of gospel sharing, I want to also live not only like Stephen by faith, Philip in obedience, but I want to live like Ananias in courage. Ananias is one courageous dude. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. It says in verse 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. Now, this is the same Saul. Remember, he was there at the stoning of Stephen. They handed his garments as they're stripping Stephen to beat him literally to death for speaking of Jesus. They're handing the garments to Saul. This is Saul, who in chapter 8, verse 3, was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, putting them in prison. Here now, Saul is trying to get after people in Damascus. So, verse 2 says, that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, interestingly, God has got a bigger plan for Saul because God is about to turn his life around. And in fact, on Saul's way to Damascus, I'm paraphrasing, Jesus meets Saul. A huge light comes about him, and falling to the ground, he hears a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Go, enter in the city, and you're going to do, you're going to be told what to do. Everybody around him was speechless. For three days, he's blind. He's not eating. He's not drinking. Now look at this in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus whose name was Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise, And go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many people about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. In other words, God, are you sure? Are you kidding me? Saul? But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias, a guy of courage. First way I see him being courageous is this. He's being courageous to share the gospel in risky situations. Courageous to share the gospel in risky situations. Have y'all ever felt the Holy Spirit's prompting for you to share the gospel with someone? And you know that to obey that prompting, and then to open your mouth to declare the good news of the gospel from the scriptures, that puts you at risk. Anybody ever been there? It takes courage to step forward and share in situations like Ananias faced. And yet, that is exactly what Ananias is choosing to do. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. we got to keep our eyes on Jesus like Stephen (laughs) in situations like this, but it forces us to have courage, because Jesus is saying, don't shrink back with fear, continue to step forward with faith, have courage, for I am with you, and great is your reward in heaven, and this is the way that I have have, called you to. Take the risk, and watch what I can do, not only to have courage to share risky situations, but second, he had courage to share with risky people. Y'all ever known a risky person? Nah. Verse 17, it says, that, so Ananias departed. What did he do in the face of the risky situation and with this risky person? He departed and he entered the house and laying his hands On him, he said, Brother Saul, can you imagine? This is the dude who's been carting everybody out to prison, trying to kill people who identify with Jesus. Brother Saul, I'm going to touch your hand here, your head. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, it says, immediately, some scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Courage to share with risky people. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verses 28 to 34, but I say to those who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to those who beg of you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. For if you love only those who love you, in other words, if you only share the gospel with people who you think are going to respond favorably toward you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who only do good to you, that's the way you live your life. You're never stepping out in risk. You're never going beyond your comfort zone. Are you serious? If you do good only like that, what benefit is that to you for for even sinners do the same. And if you lend only to those who you expect to receive what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to give the same back amount. But love your enemies, Jesus says, and do good and lend and expect nothing in return for your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for God is grateful I mean, he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Sharing the gospel with risky people. People who could come against you. People who have at one time hurt you people who you feel like you may not be able to control. Uh, You don't know what the outcome is going to be. Ananias was courageous to step forward, exhibiting the heart of God, being merciful as the Father is merciful, being kind to the ungrateful, being kind to the evil. It was Jonah's problem, do you remember, that he didn't want to go to share the good news of God's mercy to people who didn't deserve it. God had to teach them a lesson the hard way, and I pray it won't be the same with us. We need to know that God loves sinners. The basis of salvation is not whether someone that we're sharing with is deserving of it. The basis of salvation is that our God is merciful and gracious to all who will believe upon Him. So we show mercy as he has shown us mercy. Ananias shares with a risky person. And last but not least, Ananias is courageous to share and leave the results with God. He's courageous to share and leave the results with God. Our responsibility is to share the gospel. It's God's responsibility to change the heart. Immediately something like scales fell from Paul's eyes, it says, and he regained his sight. And then he rose, and he was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who just made havoc in Jerusalem to those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Ananias didn't know how it was going to go. And every time you share the gospel, listen, friends, every time I share the gospel, we don't know how it's going to go. But it's not our job to control the results. And if you are only willing to share the gospel when you can control the results, then you are never going to share the gospel because the results of gospel sharing are not controlled by us, they're only controlled by God. It is our job to step forward and to share the good news of Jesus and to invite people to believe, but it is not our job or in our power to change a person's heart. Only God can do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, excuse me, First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, Paul says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but it is God who gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and waters are one, for each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are just God's workers. In other words, he's saying, we, we throw the seed of the gospel out, but it is God, it is God who's the one who can plant the seed and change the heart. It's not my job, it's God's job. And it takes courage to step forward and share the gospel when you have to leave the results of that with God. But that's what Ananias did. And aren't we so thankful that this man, who had every reason to go, "Ah, uh, 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 ain't going near that guy. This is too risky of a situation for me. This is too risky of a person for me. This outcome is not controllable by me. Ah, no. And resist, 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 resist. Oh, he could have. But aren't we all so thankful that Ananias with courage stepped forward to share the gospel of Jesus with this guy named Saul? Because this guy named Saul heard the good news of Jesus and received the grace of Jesus. And God changed his heart and created in a man who he called Paul, a new creation, and used him mightily for the kingdom of God. So much of our New Testament scripture comes by the hands of this one who is saved by the faithful and courageous witness of this little guy named Ananias. And nobody may think about Ananias a whole lot when they think about Paul. But I will tell you that Ananias was an important part of what God was doing in the church of that day and what God has done in our life today through the witness and testimony of Paul. Amen? Stephen, Philip, Ananias. As we close this morning, I just want to encourage us to be really honest about the fact that, I mean, we've been in this for weeks now, okay? We've been talking about this as a church for weeks. I have been, Christus has been, and Abelian has been trying to faithfully expound the Scripture. And I said a few weeks ago, it could be easy in the middle of this talk about gospel sharing to just think that this is all about, we're just spectating. We're just spectating about what happened in the early church. Oh, that's so cool. Look at that history. That's just so neat. How cool amazing is Stephen. He's a man filled with faith. I'm just so thankful that he laid down his life and he focused on Jesus. And Philip, oh, how cool is that, that that God did that in his life, you know, and that he was like obedient to his calling, and he was obedient to the Spirit's prompting, and that Ethiopian Ethiopian unit guy, how cool, man. He got saved on the side of the road. And, and, And wow, Ananias, I'm so thankful for Ananias and I share it with Paul. And we close our Bibles, we go home and go, what's on TV this afternoon, right? Tomorrow we wake up and it makes no difference. Um, and I'm not saying that you're necessarily going to do that, but there's a temptation to just leave this here, to just leave this as, as ancient church history to which we're grateful for, but not see the relevance in our life today. I'm preaching like this, because I care about you and I'm telling you that I have so much room to grow as a man as it relates to living a life intentionally for Jesus with my life and with my lips and growing in these areas of faith and of obedience and of courage. This is meant to be our experience today Where are the Stevens of ICC? Where are those who are so filled with the words of Jesus? You're just living by faith and following him. Where are the Stevens who are are just living by faith with fearlessness, sharing openly, boldly, living by faith the words of Jesus so In your heart, that you're just focused on him and you're forgiving, just loving people no matter what they how they respond, you're just giving your life and love for others no matter the cost to you. Where are the Stevens today? I believe that God wants us to live like Stephen. I believe that his experience should be our experience. Where are the Phillips today? I tell you, I told you about one and Kristen Hurtler. Where are the those Philips in our church whose calling and identity is not based on circumstance, but based on the gospel of Jesus and the call that he's put upon our lives? Where are the Philips who are obedient, literally waking up every day saying, oh God, please make me receptive today. You call me not to live by the flesh, but by the Spirit make me receptive today. I believe that you're working in the hearts and lives of people around me. Oh God, would you show me today? Show me. Speak to me. Point them out so that I might enter into their life and help them to know who you are. And God, I'm ready. I'm ready to share. When they ask, I'm ready to share. And where are the Ananiases in our church today? I believe God wants Ananiases in our church today. People who are courageous, courageous, Courageous in risky situations and courageous with risky people and courageous to not only share when you can control the results but to entrust the results to God. Oh God, I'm just praying. I've been praying this week. God, fill our church with Stevens and Phillips and Ananias. May this not just be something we spectate in but participate in. May we live as witnesses for Jesus. And I really believe we have a lot of room to grow. So it's this morning. This morning, I just want to call us to response. Everybody can get in a position of prayer, but I just want to call us to response this morning. In each of our lives, someone has shared the gospel with us, and I'm wondering if we are willing to recognize the call to live intentionally to share the gospel with others. Maybe your starting point this morning is, is to just say, Oh, Jesus, would you so fill my heart with worship for who you are and what you've done that this is even something desirable for me? Maybe this morning you've just been sitting here like, i just, I just ready to leave. This is not even desirable to me. And to just pray, Oh, God, would you make this desirable to me? Would you make me want others to know you? And that starts with me understanding who you are and what you have done, and how worthy you are. So, God, break my heart and fill me with love for you. Fill me with love for you. So that this life that you've called me to live would be an overflow of my experience with you. For today, out of these three, being filled with the words of Jesus and living by faith, being faithful in obedience. being courageous as you entrust yourself to God. Maybe God has spoken through one of these today or maybe more than one, and you just need to surrender your heart and your life to God and say, oh God, fill me with faith. Calls me to be obedient. Fill me with boldness and courage. Lord, we come today asking of you to speak, to move, We surrender ourselves to you. We thank you that you're here present, working among us. We pray, Lord, that our church would be known as a church that extends the grace of Jesus to everyone possible through our life and our lips. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.